Well, good morning. My name is Jared Clary, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to be with you all this morning and to open up God's Word, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 20, verse 41 through 44. That's right, only four verses. That's a good thing. And then I looked at these four verses, and I thought, what do I do with that? But as I studied this passage this week, um, then then it just kept drawing me deeper and deeper into God's Word and into the text and into the riches and the intricacies of God's Word. And so that's my prayer for you this morning is that as we study this really simple passage, that it would draw you deeper into God's Word and that it would really start to captivate you. I want to remind us of what we've been doing. If, we, if you're a guest with us, and we've been walking through the book of Luke. And so we are nearing the end. But it's helpful to remember how the book began. Because the writer is writing to O. Theophilus, or lover of God, that he's got a purpose for why he's written this. There's a purpose for why Luke recorded this text. And so I want to remind all of us of that purpose. And that purpose is that you might have confidence in the things which you have heard. That you could have a sure and steady faith about the things which you've heard. That's why he's writing. And so we've walked through and we've begun to see the people and the places and the locations and dates and times and all the things that Luke researched and recorded and talked to all these people and and wrote down in order that we might have a confidence in the things which we have heard about Jesus. In order that our faith might be sure that Jesus is who he says he is, did what he said he did, and has accomplished what he said he would accomplish, that we might trust in him. So Luke's built this case, and and there was a, a huge looking forward to Jerusalem, that Jesus was going to Jerusalem, and now he's been in Jerusalem, and, and he's been talking to the religious leaders. And the religious leaders, the whole chapter of chapter 20 is all about authority. And they ask him this question, and they're like, tell us, by what authority do you do these things, and who is it that gave you this authority? They're like, whose authority allows you to do these things, and who gave it to you? It's all about questioning Jesus' authority. And then they began to question his authority by kind of proof texting and pulling the scripture out and trying to stump him and asking him these questions that the scriptures weren't actually about. And we get to the text here, and Jesus now, at the end of the chapter, goes on the offensive. He's not just responding to their questions. He silenced them. The text said that that they no longer dared to ask him any questions. So he's like, all right, let me ask you a question. But in the text here, what's happening is Jesus is going to ask them a question that their brain doesn't even know how to deal with. One of my kiddos was, we were hanging out with some friends, and the topic of strawberry shortcake came up. I don't know how, but it came up, right? Like, that just happens with kids. You don't even ask why. At some point, you're just like, of course, it came up. Strawberry shortcake. 
Well, in this discussion, the strawberry shortcake was being referred to as a dessert. But my child had no comprehension of that. Never eaten strawberry shortcake before, so why would she even know about it? She was like, strawberry shortcake is not a dessert, it's a person. <laughs> and they were like, no, it, it's a dessert before it was a person. And you're like, mm-mm. They were like, no, here's a picture, like, on the internet. Like, here's a picture of the dessert. She's like, mm, you can find anything you want on the internet. And she's right. <laughs> it's a person. Like, in her brain, there was no category for this. Because she hadn't thought about it before. And that's what Jesus is about to do, is he's about to ask a question. And he's about to ask this question to these religious leaders. And their brain is going to like fritz out and start smoking out their ears. Because it's like, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. We hadn't thought about this. And now that we're thinking about this, we don't know what to do about this. Because this thought has major implications for the rest of life. So as we encounter this text, let's come to it with our, our mind open to hear and to see what God's word says. Let's not be like the Pharisees that go, nope, have never thought like this, can't think like this. Let's open our ears and our eyes to say, God, would you teach us from your word that our lives might be conformed to your image, that our thinking might look like your thinking, that our seeing might look like your seeing, that we would be like you. So let's pray and ask God to do that. Lord, we come to you needy, desperate, and dependent, knowing that we have presuppositions and, and things which we have carried that you would like to confront in our life. God, so we ask that you would give us eyes to see clearly from your word, that you would give us ears to hear clearly from you, God, and that your word would have authority and power and preeminence in our life. God, would you do through your Holy Spirit what only you can do in that you would convict our hearts, that you would compel us with your love for us, that we might be willing and open to hear from you and to be willing to change. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's look at this text. I want to read the whole text, all four verses. And then what I want to do is I want to unpack Jesus' logic first for us. And so we've got to understand his logic in his argument before we can really get to the conclusion that he's drawing us to. So, so let's read it. It says this in verse 41. But he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? So there's a logical progression that Jesus is, is making here as he asks these questions. So, so here's the logic. The first question is this, how can they say that Christ is David's son? Well, it's helpful. Who is the they there? How can they, how can the Jewish people, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, these people who held the Old Testament as authoritative, as God's word, 
How can these people say that Christ is David's son? Well, beginning Judaism or Judaism 101 would say, duh, God promised it. How can they say that the Christ is David's son? Well, it's all over the scriptures. Don't you know? But many of us go, well, that's a valid question. <laughs> like, uh, but, but let me show you why this is a duh question. Second Samuel chapter 7. You don't have to turn there. I think it's going to be on the screen. Second Samuel chapter 7, 11 through 6 says this. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, listen to this, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, you shall, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom Forever. That's important. Forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. What's happening? Nathan, prophet, speaking to David, the king. And he says, God said, your house and your kingdom will be established forever. I will raise up an offspring from you who will reign forever. Okay, so the Messiah, the promised one. The one that God originally spoke about in Genesis chapter 3, who would crush the head of the serpent. Who is he? He's a son of David, an offspring of David who will sit on the throne. Okay? Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. Again, I just want to start to build the overwhelming case of why is it that, that Jesus would say, How do you know? How can you say that the Messiah is coming from the line of David? Here's why. Isaiah 9, 2 through 7 says this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this from 
the throne of David. How can the Christ be David's son? The scriptures proclaim it. Isaiah 11, 1 through 6. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. This is the line of David. And a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but his righteousness, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters over the sea. There's a Messiah. There's a king coming who will rule and reign from the line of David, and he'll rule and reign with supreme authority over even the animals, and he'll bring peace. But we're not done. How can they say that the Messiah will come from the son of David, that the Christ is the son of David? Well, Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6 says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, will I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Jeremiah 33, 14 through 18. Are you starting to get why the Jewish people would be like, Jesus, duh. Like, of course, the scriptures overwhelmingly say this. Jeremiah 33, 14 through 18 says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel. And the house of Judah. What promise? In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called The Lord is our righteousness. Of course, the Christ is David's son. Of course. But let's go one more time, all right? Ezekiel 37, 24 through 28. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. 
It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Jesus asked them the question, how can you say that the Christ is the son of David? And the answer from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders is, the scriptures say it. That's how we can say it, is the scriptures proclaim it. They promise it. God promised it to his people that in the line of David, he would raise up an offspring who would rule and reign supreme forever. That he's the rightful king of the kingdom. That's how we can say it. So then Jesus goes on in the argument. So, so we see the first logic is, how can you say that? Well, there's a truth claim that, that the Messiah will come from the line of David. That's the truth claim. It's promised. But then we see, where does Jesus go next? Well, he says, for David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Okay, well, what's going on? Well, Jesus is quoting David out of Psalm 110. But it can be confusing, so let's figure out what's going on. Okay, so Jesus is quoting David in the Psalms, and, and here's what it says. The Lord said to my Lord. Okay, wait a minute. What's he talking about? The Lord, Yahweh, God the Father, said to my Lord, Adonai. David has a Lord, but David was king. Who's David's Lord? Oh, the, the Messiah, the promised one, the, the Son of God. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. The, wait a minute, but the son of David is the Messiah, right? Aren't those the same? Son of David is Messiah? Yeah. We've already seen that. The son of David is the Messiah. But wait a minute. David is now saying about the Messiah, about his son, that he's Lord. I was driving with my son and... I was like, hey, why don't you read this passage? Tell me what you think it means. It's like, Dad, I don't know. That's confusing. It's like, yeah. So we, we began to talk about this, and, and I was like, well, here's the equivalent. It would be like me coming to you and saying, yes, my Lord, what would you like me to do? And he's like, Dad, you'd never do that. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> That's the point. He would never do this. Jewish custom. The father would never say to the son, yes, my Lord, what would you like me to do? Ever. Ever. It wouldn't happen. He's just asked the Pharisees this question. And they're like, Wait a minute. So David is saying to his son that he's the authority over him? Yeah, exactly. Because 
He's the Messiah, the promised one of God who has all authority. Look at all authority. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Absolute, complete dominance. Let me prop my feet up on you. There is not some cosmic battle of good and evil. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? Jesus or Satan? Jesus is dominant. His enemies will be his footstool. So we see the logic that Jesus is asking them this question of, you guys submit to David, you see David as authoritative, you know God's promise about the Messiah, that he's going to come through the line of David, but you haven't put it together. That the Messiah is David's son, who has all authority, who is standing in your midst, is what Jesus is doing. Because that messes with them, right? It, it has implications. To believe that truth has major implications on their actions. It's not a truth claim they can believe and stay the same. Which is the reality for us. This passage doesn't have a command for us to obey. It's not like, thou shalt not lie. Okay, I know what I need to do with that. Sometimes we get to passages like this and we'll read it and we're like, oh, cool. And we close it and we walk away and we're like, I'm, I'm not really sure what I needed to do with that. Well, as you read the scriptures, sometimes there's truth that you're called to believe. And this is one of those passages. There's not a command for you to obey, but there is a truth for you to believe. That if you believe, changes everything. Everything. Because with this truth claim, there's a, a line drawn in the sand and you're on one of the two sides. You either believe it and you're a friend of God. Or you say, no, that's a lie and you're an enemy of God. That's it. It's one of those two. You can't stay neutral. There's a truth claim. To not believe it is to disbelieve. There's one of two options. And the scripture is clear of what the implications of those two options are for all of eternity. You see, that's why these religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. Because Jesus made a truth claim that he has all authority and he is the only one worthy of our worship and our praise and our life. And they said, no, 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 no. That's too much. And they rejected it. There's a truth claim for us to believe today. Maybe that truth claim for you, this is the first time that you've ever understood it. You've ever seen that Jesus is the only one worthy of your life and your worship and your whole being. He's worthy of it because he's God. Because he's the Messiah. 
for you to believe that, it's simple. Just tell him you believe it. But maybe for some of us in here, because of life and because of circumstances and because of the things that we've gone through or because of the way God hasn't answered prayers, then, then we've started to maybe doubt or question that on a pragmatic level, that Jesus is worthy of our worship and our praise and that he alone has all authority. Maybe you just need to remind yourself today in your heart and in your mind, no, Jesus is worthy. Jesus is authoritative. He is the son of David. He is the Messiah. See, Jesus asked this last question in this text in verse 44. He says, David thus called him Lord, so how is he his son? How is he a son if he's also the Lord? And that's it. Jesus doesn't answer it for him. He can't be in some ways. It's like, well, in that sense, he can't be his son because he's not lower than his, the son of David. He's supreme in authority. But Peter actually answers this in Acts chapter 2. And so if you've got a Bible, would you turn over to Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2, verse 29. <clears throat> Peter has been preaching a sermon. And here's where he ultimately goes. He says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Cliff notes, David is not reigning forever. Right? David was not the fulfillment of the promise that you will reign forever. There was someone else. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. So David, knowing God had promised and that God was faithful and that God will always keep his promises. David, knowing that promise that God had made, verse 31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he is not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, this descendant of David, this son of David, this Jesus, this promised Messiah, God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. How is the Christ, the son of David, well, he came through the line of David. Luke's recorded that for us at the very beginning. Jesus is born through the lineage of David. And yes, Jesus did die. But he rose from the dead that he could sit on the throne of David forever. There's a truth claim 
the son of David, has all authority and power and rule and reign, and he is worthy of your worship. In working with students, then a lot of times there was a focus on outward behavior. And I think as Christians that are in church a lot, that sometimes we can have some pretty good outward behavior, some cultural Christian norms that we don't do this and we do this and we don't do that and, and we should be more like Jesus in this. And, and it's a lot of behavior modification. But what a text like this reminds us of is that the outward actions are an overflow of our heart. That if we'll believe, our actions will change. That this truth claim that Jesus is making is a statement for us to believe. It's an open-ended question to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes to say, how then? How then is the Messiah David's son? How then can David call him Lord? And we've got to answer those questions. You can either say, it's all a big lie. David was deceived. David didn't know what he was talking about. The scriptures are false. Or we can go, man, God raised Jesus, the son of David, from the dead and set him at the right hand. And he will reign and rule supreme with all authority and his enemies will be made his footstool. And I believe. And that will change your life. Changes your motivations. Changes your responses. Changes your priorities. Changes everything. So here's the response. Do you believe it? My challenge and my encouragement to you today is to, to maybe spend some time this week just reading that passage in Acts, chapter 2. Just dwelling on who Jesus is and what he did. There's only one who has all authority. And he deserves to be the king of your life. He deserves your worship. He deserves your affection. Not because he's some tyrant, but because he's worthy. Because he loves you. Because he gave himself up for you. That's what the Gospels have been all about. Introducing us to this Jesus 
who has all authority and yet came down in order to save us and to sanctify us and to call us his own. I'm going to pray for us and then as a response, we're going to sing. If you want to talk more to somebody about what does it look like to trust Jesus with your life, we would love nothing more than to have that conversation today. Or maybe if you're a guest and and someone brought you here today or invited you, let me just tell you, they would love to have that conversation with you. It's not awkward. They would love nothing more than that. To have that conversation with you to help you understand and see Jesus clearly. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that just reminds us of where our ultimate affections and loyalties should lie. That Jesus, all of the commands of the scripture and all of the the things which we're called to are ultimately all about you. Serving you, living a life worthy of what you've done for us. And living in worship for how you've created us. Lord, would you help us to believe that you are the promised son of David, the Messiah, the Christ, the only one who can save us in our desperate state. The only one worthy of it all. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.